This is The Feed, York Region's only news magazine dedicated to the issues, events, and stories that matter to all of us who live and work here. Welcome to this special edition of The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. David Charles Onley, the Honorable David C. Onley, was a man like no other. Courageous, compassionate, tenacious, intelligent, sensitive, humble, thoughtful, funny, determined, and committed. A champion for those with disabilities, he became a champion for all people. Stricken with polio at the age of three, he grew up having to move mountains in order to overcome physical and social challenges. David worked tirelessly, first as a broadcaster and then as Ontario's 28th Lieutenant Governor, to break down barriers for people with disabilities and to encourage, no, demand far greater accessibility for all who needed and deserved it. See the ability, not the disability. David Onley's passing on January 14th at age 72 broke the hearts of Ontarians. He touched so many lives, made such a difference, and was respected and revered by all who knew him. David was also a loving husband, father, and grandfather. He cherished his family and put them above all else in his life. He and Ruth raised three remarkable sons, the youngest of whom joins us now on this special edition of The Feed. Michael Onley, it is such an honor to have you with us on the show. How are you doing these days? Well, first of all, thank you, Anne, for having me on the show. It's uh, it's a re- real privilege and honor to to be here today and, and to speak with you. Um, I'm I'm doing well. I'd say that there, our whole family, all things considered, um, we're all you know soldiering through and soldiering on as my dad uh, did his entire life. Uh, so we're just taking life one day at a time and one step at a time your father always used to say that yes yes well and the reality with him was you know he had to take um great care of his steps Mm -hmm. forward in life and uh, the the steps that he took forward uh, was through his faith and um just his faith in god that you know as someone who suffered from polio and had a, a you know severe disability um, even just the steps of his day-to-day life, he had to be very careful. Um, and it was the Lord who guided his steps. And, you know, Michael, I, I've watched you and your brothers grow up as, as an honorary only, I felt like, as part of the family. <laughs> and, and I know that faith was a very important and still is an incredibly important part of your lives and, of course, your father and, and your mother, Ruth. Yes, you know, that was... First and foremost, uh, you know, from myself and my brothers, Robert and Jonathan, um, dad was, that's who we knew. That, that was, it was dad. You know, everything mm-hmm. else was uh, just extracurricular. He happened to, to you know, work a, a job that was a public figure. And then exponentially, uh, as Lieutenant Governor of Ontario, um, but it was just the little things on the day-to-day that he instilled in the three of us. And the most important thing that he instilled in us was, um, you know, the foundation of our life being rooted in Jesus Christ. And that faith, I really believe, um, has strengthened us uh, throughout this whole experience, uh, both now and in the future up ahead. And it's something that, you know, I will take with me, with um, my wife and I, and, and my, our future children. And um, it's something that I look back now as I reflect You know, it's the greatest gift that my dad could have given us, um, uh, the faith in Christ, and uh, something that I'll, I'll take with me forever. 
Michael, you and the entire family were together on the day that David died, on January 14th at 6.37 at night at Sunnybrook. Can you tell me what that experience was like for you to see him cross over? Yes. Um, the final hours, you know, they were very surreal. You know, it, it's um, oftentimes, you know, you'll see a movie and you'll, you'll just kind of shake your head and go, oh, wow, like that, that's such a, an intense moment. And when you're in it, um, I, I watched my life flash before my eyes. And I said to my wife, Stephanie, I, I said, I, I couldn't believe that I had arrived at the moment in which I'm watching my father pass. Um, but in those final hours, you know, it was met with great sadness, great grief, um, but it was also met with warmth and comfort. Uh, my dad was surrounded um, by my, my mom and my two brothers and I, and then the rest of the family, my dad's um, brother and two sisters and uh, our cousins, um, and we sang hymns, and there was just a flow of hymns that was throughout um, the room for the final hours. Um, and so it was it was a lot. It was a lot to take in. Um, but at the same time, you know, I said to my brothers, um, you know, what is the point of our faith if we don't believe in our faith? And, um, you know, especially in that moment, you know, it, it's very easy for someone to um, go through their life in the easy times and, and claim their faith. Um, but it's, it's, it's in the, the deepest, darkest, most intense moments of life that that is where one's faith is tested. And, um, you know, for myself, uh, I look back now and I, I see that my faith was tested because it was a, a real question of, do, do I believe in what my father instilled in me? And that is the faith of Jesus Christ. And do I believe that my father is entering into eternity or not? And the definitive answer is yes. Um, in the final moments of my father's passing, um, there was a peace. There was a peace over him that is, we see biblically speaking, um, no human mind can comprehend the greatness of God. And even in that final moment of my dad's passing, the greatness of God shone brightly on him and in that room. And um, it's very hard to put into words, but the only word that I, I can say was was peace. And um, it's, uh, it's something that, you know, it's, it's very hard to describe, but I know that my dad... Um, was at peace and is at peace now, uh, and he's with his Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's so important, and the word peace, all that your father went through in his life. So let's go back in time a little bit. Uh, What was it like growing up as the youngest son of David and Ruth only? (laughs) Well, I would say, uh, I would argue maybe, I I felt like I was his favorite, but uh, (laughs) there there certainly wasn't favorites in the household. (laughs) I know he loved uh, all three of us dearly. Um, I was talking to my mom about it last night. You know, there, as a as a father who's disabled, um, you know, the physicality of a father kind of goes out the window. You know, you, you see movies or TV shows where the dad hoists them, hoists the son or daughter up on their shoulders for a piggyback ride, or you know, the <laughs> the son or daughter will grab the baseball bat or the hockey stick and say, "Dad, come on, let's go out and play." Um, that wasn't my that wasn't my childhood at all. Um, so. You know, you, you quickly, as I've reflect, as I've been reflecting, you go, okay. So then, what what was dad like? What what did dad do? Um, and you know, dad's love language for his boys was, um, you know, being present. And you know, in our day and age, it's so easy to not be present. It's so easy to um, 
just kind of mentally check out. You know, it's it's our the common behavior in our world and society right now is grab your phone, put your head down, and it's socially acceptable. Um, and as I look now and I reflect on my time, you know, as, as a kid, uh, dad was just present. Mm-hmm. And um, especially when, you know, dad was at CP24 uh, in the 90s and, and to the 2000s, you know, he would, uh, I, I always said that once dad got out of the car, uh, work work stayed in the car. And it was all about the kids. It was all about us, the boys. And how was your day? What did you do? And um, that's something that I was really reflecting on last night of, you know, what can I do when, when I'm a father, when I have children? And I, I, I think about that. I just go, well, the greatest gift I could give my future children is just being present being completely present, you know, phones away, distractions away, work away, anything. Um, and so that, that, that my children know, you know, dad was present. And um, it, it's just a, such a gift to, to kind of reflect on that and see uh, how powerful that was for us as kids. You know, Michael, we outside of the family know David as this powerful, passionate, compassionate, committed, tenacious, hardworking, you know, disability rights advocate. Uh, and the, the, in my opinion, the greatest lieutenant governor ever, of course, I feel that way. But there were sides to him that I know you saw, and I certainly saw from time to time. He was funny. He had a sharp wit. He was, a st- and he would laugh at his own jokes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No, Dad, uh, he's definitely passed that on to Jonathan, Robert, and I in our mm-hmm. own unique ways. Um I even see that sometimes with my wife where I'll, <laughs> I'll tell jokes and I'll, I'll realize I'm saying it and I'm delivering it the exact way that my dad would do. And because that was kind of a dry sense of humor, you either got it or you didn't get it. And there, there'd be times where my wife would just kind of stare at me blank with a blank stare in her face. Like, was that supposed to be funny or what am I supposed to laugh? <laughs> and, uh, and I got, I get that from my dad. And um, I, I think that the sense of humor um, spoke volumes to who dad was because, you know, my dad had every reason and, and in many ways, every right to be this bitter old man, not only in his final years of life, but his entire life. He, he was disabled. He, he, his body had failed him at the age of three. Um, and it would be so easy for his attitude to be not only woe is me, but you know, be angry and, and be angry at God, be angry at the world around him, be angry at the public. You know, you don't know what I'm going through. Um, but it was his sense of humor to accept not only his situation, um, not through sense of humor, but his, just his overall perspective for that. But it was just his sense of humor that, you know, I think really did give him joy in his life, which was these are the circumstances that I have. These are the circumstances I'm going through. Um, but I'm going to choose joy. And I'm going to choose joy to be a, a focal point of my life. And, um, and that I, really be, I believe that really gave him hope, um, even in times of, of great um, you know, depression, of feeling low. I know I had spoken to him many times where he, he would talk about, you know, even through the many stages of his life, of, of feeling low. And um, you know, the gift of laughter is, is just that. It's such a gift. And I, I can't help but think of, a special moment with my dad, which was when he was on the Rick Mercer report and the interview that Rick did was just so perfect. And it's, it's amazing. I've, I've watched it a couple times uh, in the last week and a half and it's just brought me laughter. It's brought me joy. 
uh, even in this time of, of sorrow, of sadness, and, and of dealing with a broken heart. Um, and so <laughs> my dad's sense of humor, it, it shines right through, right up into the very end. Absolutely. We sure had some laughs. Michael, you sustained a concussion a while ago. How did yeah. your dad help you deal with that? Oh, I mean, it goes back to exactly what I was saying earlier, just being present. You know, like, even in that time, that was the very beginning stages of his time as lieutenant governor, um, he did anything and everything that he could to assist me and help me um, because it was it was a very you know concussions were prominent in the in the late 90s and early 2000s within the NHL um, but even at that time when I had the concussion in 2007 um, there were still a lot of question marks about how do you operate uh, the recovery how do you what what do you do how do you integrate especially for a young uh, individual like myself who was 17 at the time. Um, and it was just under very careful consideration. And, it, and my dad took the time. He didn't, he didn't react. And um, it was not, you know, reacting on emotion. It was, it was very methodical and, um, and, and just being there for me, which, you know, you'd like to believe that every father would be there for their son or daughter. But the truth of the matter is that, you know, unfortunately, there are parents that, that aren't. And they, they don't know how to deal with something like that. Um, my dad did because my dad knew exactly what I was going through because he had gone through it himself in a different manner, which was not only did my dad know what pain was like, not only did my dad know what suffering was like, my dad knew what it was to be at an all-time low. And in that moment of my life, it was an all-time low. And there would be times where I would I would be in tears and he'd be right there. And it wasn't my mom, it wasn't my brothers, it was dad because dad knew. Dad knew exactly what I was going through. Um, and I just hope that's, that's something that I can carry with me, uh, when I'm a father and, and I can be there for my children and any sort of issue that they go through, I can, I can be present just like my dad was. Mm, he loved you so, and your brothers as well. Michael, how will you remember your father? Well, I will remember him, uh, as someone who was a champion for the people, um, you know, anyone he encountered, um, he made you feel there was a couple of things that he, you know, he cared for you, um, that you mattered and you were, that you were appreciated. Um, and if, if those were the, the real realities, then, then you knew that you felt loved. Um, and you know, because he was a champion for the people, it's, it's hard not to be encouraged and be inspired. And I have often felt my dad uh, throughout these last this last week and a half of any time I've encountered someone, we've had a great chat, and then I would then encourage and challenge them um, to to move forward in whatever light that is, and and you know that would be I feel like my dad would want to encourage and challenge any listener right now, and that would be that you know wherever you are in life, whatever it is that you're doing, you know do it with great faith great love and great hope um, because it's those simple yet powerful actions that will impact and change those around you forever. Um, and that would be what I'll remember for my dad is mm. just someone who completely loved uh, his family, loved his children and, and in turn, you know, loved those around him um, because, you know, as I've reflected over this last week and a half, um, it's, it's really made me realize how short our time here is on earth. And it's not something that 
humans really consider, you know, what, what, which is, well, how do I want to be remembered? How, how do I want my legacy to live on? Um, and it's so, it's so fascinating, you know, the accolades, the awards, um, everything that my dad, uh, you know, earned and, and was respected for in many ways, you know, it'll live on forever. Um, and, and in other ways it will be forgotten, um, in, in some ways. Um, but we'll, what, what will never be forgotten is, is dad is, is who David Onley was. And, um, and that was definitively his love for his wife, his children, um, his brothers and sisters, nephews, nieces, the, the entire family. Um, and I believe that's, that's the legacy he leaves behind, which is an, an encouraging um, reality for all Canadians. And that is to embrace where you are in life. Embrace your challenges. Don't feel sorry for yourself. You've got, there's so many people out there who love you and support you and care for you and that you make an impact on those around you. And I, and I think about that as a whole for us as a country. Canada is a, a, a beautiful country um, that is marked by its kindness and politeness and, and caring for its neighbor. And I, I really believe that that would be what my dad would want to, to be rem- remembered. Um, but then to get to work, we all have a job to do, um, and that's to care for our everyday, the everyday citizen. Um, and so that's just that's what I'll remember my dad for, mm-hmm. just a, a man of, of great love, of great faith, and of great hope. Michael Onley, bless your heart. Your father would be so proud. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank I, you. I greatly appreciate it, and it's uh, it's been a real honor to to be with you today and to, to honor my father. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. When we come back, disability advocates share their memories of David Onley. This special edition of The Feed returns in a moment. Ann Romer and more of The Feed coming up. This is 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to this very special edition of The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. This weekend, Ontario's former Lieutenant Governor is lying in state at Queen's Park ahead of Monday's state funeral. Our next stories focus on the disability advocates who worked tirelessly alongside David. We begin with Tina Cortez. Since the death of David Onley on January 14th, another David has been sharing his own memories of their time together. Meet David Lepofsky, lawyer, and Chair of Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act Alliance. David, take us back to when you first met David Onley, reporter. So it's 1995. There's a provincial election going on when a new conservative leader named Mike Harris was running for office. And the Toronto Star had reported that he had said some pretty disturbing things about why should we have to pay people with disabilities uh, full wages if they could only do half the job. It was, the, the reported statement was, was pretty offensive. Uh, it, and the way it's, it treated or perceived people with disabilities in the workplace. And uh, David only called me up and said, would I like to comment on this? So he and I met and we shot an interview um, and 
then he later went and quartered Mike Harris on his way out of a radio interview somewhere. And the story ran that night, and it is one of the first interviews I did very early in the campaign to win the passage of an accessibility law for people with disabilities. We started that campaign in 1994. I became the co-chair and then the chair of the movement that, that fought for it. We fought for a decade, and we won that law finally in 2005. If our listeners want to check out that video, does it exist somewhere? Where can they find it? It's up. I, if you have a, I'll send you the link. It's on YouTube. If you go to YouTube and you just search on David Lepofsky, L-E-P-O-F-S-K-Y, and David Onley, O-N-L-E-Y, you'll find it. It's two and a half minutes. So that was your encounter with David, the reporter, early on. Do you remember how many times you were part of his stories over the years at City TV? Uh, that may have only been the only story. I, I can't remember, but, you know, our paths just crossed and crossed again because in the, uh, the mid-2000s, uh, the government of Dalton McGuinty, where they passed the, disability, the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, a law we fought for, they appointed an advisory committee to give them feedback uh, on what they should be doing, and David shared it. So we started to interact in that way. He had a line about me. When he was sworn in as Lieutenant Governor uh, in 2007, I was honored to be one of his many guests. And his statement back then, which he said over and over, is that he and I were like cops working different ends of the same street. You know, both fighting for the same thing, but he's doing it through his journalism and through his advisory work with the government, and later, pardon me, as Lieutenant Governor making this an issue. And I was doing it as kind of a like community organizer uh, and hold the press conferences, blasting the government when they were doing, doing things poorly. In your own way, the two of you, using different paths, were fighting for accessibility for people with different abilities. Where does that fight stand right now? Well, um, sadly, uh, things in Ontario are, uh, are not progressing the way they could or should. Ontario is still, as David Onley put it in his landmark report to the government on this subject four years ago, Ontario uh, is a place that is full of David's words, soul-crushing barriers impeding people with disabilities. He said in that report that progress on accessibility has been uh, glacial in its uh, speed. Uh, and unfortunately, that's where it's at. Now, that's not to say things aren't getting better. Uh, we've made some improvements. That's not to say that people out there hearing this interview don't want to do things on accessibility, because I believe they do. Because everybody has a disability now or gets one later. I'm blind. David used a mobility device. There are people with every kind of disability out there in everybody's families. But what we're missing, and David called the government out on this in his landmark report four years ago that will be the centerpiece of his legacy, he said that what we're missing is government leadership. And he said government after government has simply not treated this as a priority. And unfortunately, since he rendered his report four years ago calling for strong new leadership, uh, the government we've had at Queen's Park 
um, has been or, as bad or worse than anything we'd seen before. So where do you think David's report goes from here? Well, we, uh, D- David's voice keeps on speaking even after uh, he sadly passed away a week ago. Uh, he is, uh, his report is one that we are, that's getting a lot of attention uh, in the media since he passed away, which, and, and what's getting attention is the fact that the Ford government has done absolutely nothing to implement his detailed road map to, to, uh, uh, to make things better. Uh, and I got to tell you, I, 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 I live this as a community organizer. I'm a volunteer. I lead a, a coalition that fights to get this legislation implemented. Um, it, it, we can't even get a meeting with the premier. We can't even get a meeting with his accessibility minister in the past year or more. Uh, that's even to just have a conversation about what they should doing, much less what they should be doing, much less getting them to actually do it. Tell us now then about your friendship with David Onley. What was that like? How did that evolve over the years? Well, it, it evolved through a number of formal events, like him inviting me to some of these ceremonial events. Uh, when he was lieutenant governor, um, he would have me come over and meet him in his offices at Queen's Park just to sort of catch up on what's going on at each of our ends of that street that we were we were working as cops on, uh, and it, which was kind of a riot because you go to lieutenant governor's uh, suite at Queen's Park, which is this huge meeting room, which is where they have major functions with hundreds of people. It was just the two of us sitting there um, yakking, but. As well, um, we, you know, in, in latter years, we also, we would, we would talk on the phone when causes were coming up that we wanted to work on. Um, in fact, our last conversation, unfortunately, uh, was just two months ago. I, I wish I could be able to call him today because there's some issues we want to do some more activity on. But we, there's a bill before Parliament right now called the Canada Disability Benefit Act. Bill C-22. It's a bill brought in by the uh, Justin Trudeau government. It has the good intention of trying to lift people with disabilities out of poverty because there are hundreds of thousands of people with disabilities in Canada who are living in poverty, but it's a really weak bill. And the House of Commons had a standing committee that was holding hearings, but we couldn't get ourselves invited, my coalition invited to the meetings. So David saw that we were raising uh, hell about this on social media, and he took it on himself to call uh, at least one Liberal MP, uh, member of Parliament, former cabinet minister uh, in Ontario, uh, and, uh, and put the heat on to get uh, my coalition invited to make a presentation. We did get invited. I'm thankful to David for, for his help. And the video online of our presentation of that standing committee has been seen over a thousand times. That was a message which would not have gotten heard without having to pressure them because we were not on anybody's list to be heard. So what happens next then for you and your organization? You know, who is going to be your partner in crime, so to speak? Well, our, our allies, thankfully, are everywhere. Listening to my voice are people with disabilities, people who haven't yet gotten to disabilities, but uh, uh, but as you get older, you will. 
who want to learn to do more, if you go to our website, which I'll give you the, the website in a second, you can sign up to get our updates. There's a sign-up link right there. It's www.aodaalliance.org, aodaalliance.org. Sign up to get our updates because um, we need your help. We don't need your money. We are nonprofit. We are volunteer. We don't take money. We just want your help uh, in raising our concerns. And if you sign up for our updates, you'll learn how to do it. And we're nonpartisan, by the way. We, we're prepared to hold everybody's feet to the fire, no matter what political party they are. As many are paying their respects to David Onley, our former lieutenant governor, this weekend at Queen's Park, what do you think will be his legacy? I think his ultimate legacy will be the cause that he devoted or dedicated his term as lieutenant governor to, which is accessibility for people with disabilities. And the legacy is not just talking about it or thanking him for his efforts, but it's actually taking the crowning achievement of his career, the culmination of his, of his efforts, the David Onley report to the Ontario government in 2019. And the best way to honor his legacy is to implement his roadmap for reform. How will you, David Lepofsky, lawyer, longtime advocate, how will you remember your friend, David Onley? To be honest, I, I'm going to remember him two ways. First, I'm going to remember him as the guy uh, a couple days after he was sworn in with pomp and circumstances, Lieutenant Governor, who, when I was at Queen's Park, because I was doing some kind of event, happened to catch him also, wanted to get something to eat at the same time. But neither of us were in the fancy dining room there. We were both in line to get a stale tuna sandwich in the lousy little cafeteria they have there. I remember looking at him and saying, David, you're the Queen's representative. You're lining up for a stale tuna sandwich? <laughs> that was David. And the other thing I will remember is one of our shared loves is Star Trek. And uh, back and forth, always talking about star, uh, geeky Star Trek stuff. But I'm going to remember it because... Uh, one of the reasons uh, I love Star Trek is its optimistic view of the future. And when you're a disability rights advocate, you need that optimism. Absolutely. David, I'm sorry for your loss, and thank you for giving us your time and sharing your memories. Thanks so much for, uh, for giving me the opportunity to uh, help us all think about uh, what we could do to, to honor David Onley's legacy. And now Kevin Frankish with the unstoppable Tracy Schmidt. David Donnelly obviously was unstoppable, but he had a an ally, a colleague, a friend who actually goes by the name Unstoppable. Her name is Unstoppable Tracy and joins me right now. Tracy Schmidt. Hi, Tracy. How are you? Hello, Kevin, my fellow unstoppable friend. <laughs> <laughs> um, to say that, that you're unstoppable goes without saying. But but David was um, with someone also who was difficult to get him to slow down. Oh, yeah. And David is the inspiration behind Unstoppable. David is the catalyst for launching and paving the way. And I was almost going to compare him to The Wizard of Oz, except, you know, we know when the grand reveal happens behind the curtain, he's an ordinary fella. And I think if you were to pull the curtain on David, there'd be no ordinary fella standing there. 
You both faced obstacles uh, and both were told many times by many people, sit down, stop. You, you can't do that. Yes. <laughs> it's so true. You know, uh, David over life eventually ended up using his scooter more and more. And for myself, I'm a four-way amputee. I'm missing my hands and my legs. For the few out there that don't know who I am and can't see me because we're on, on radio and uh, it does seem to be the empathetic thing to do to say, sit down. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of like a ship. A ship in the harbor is safe, but that's not what ships are made for. That's certainly not living. And and so thanks to David and his policy changing and being this catalyst and a voice and not a kind voice. David was a kind, authentic, sincere, powerful voice. And I think that that's a really important distinction. I don't mean that he isn't beyond kind, but, but he's, he was uh, a real rigorous, diligent soul that ensured what needed to be heard was heard. Uh, and I think that that's what was so magical about David. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm using past tense in this sentence. It just is blindsiding me. It is, yeah. isn't it? It is. Um, yeah. it, it, it's tough to think now that, that David's no longer with us. Um, and, and you mentioned his scooter and I think that, you know, he was in his, in your face with his scooter for good reason. And I'm, I'm recalling the stories of Franklin Delano Roosevelt, who, who was in a wheelchair, but didn't want anyone to know. And they kept hiding the wheelchair and every picture you see, he's being supported by, by aides and other people. They did not want people knowing he had any sort of a disability. David made the scooter very visible. He was not ashamed of it and he didn't want anyone else to be ashamed of it. Yeah. Yeah. You know it's almost like the language, you know, he, he was out there, this is me, this is part of me, and this is part of my ability to access, right? Like accessibility, this is my access to ability, and it's just a, a tool. Uh, it's kind of like people think if you have a disability uh, and you play wheelchair basketball, so you're, that's why you're playing wheelchair basketball. And the reality is anybody can play wheelchair basketball, it's just on top of a basketball, you happen to also need a wheelchair. And or like the word disability, you know, a lot of people like to say heroically, oh, I like to say differently able because we know how capable David and myself are and others like us, but we don't need to sugarcoat differently abled. I am a person with a disability. And what was so wonderful about David is that he did create a space and, and a container here in Canada to just be not be me or be this version of me, just be. And so if being involved your scooter or me sometimes not wearing my artificial legs or, you know, it, it's just being. It's just, yes, I have a disability and I don't need to sugarcoat it with some other name. And, and that is thanks to the conversations that David generated and was a stand for. And it's, it's symbolic. <laughs> I don't mean that ironically, that here's this man who uses a scooter was a great stand for accessibility. <laughs> <laughs> I do like that. I like yeah. that. Um, <laughs> and what will you remember the most about David? What should we all remember the most about David Onley? Uh, 
I, I would say his heart-centered leadership. Uh, I was lucky to be with David and Oscar Peterson in March of Dimes days and, you know, ogle him as a young girl on the nude with Burger television. And then more recently, you know, I see him every year, including this year, just a few weeks ago at the Canada Hall of Fame as folks were being awarded. He was there. Uh, and, you know, he is this heart-centered leader. And, and I think there's a really big difference between the word kind and nice. And, and, you know, uh, David was, was kind because he's kind enough to say what needs to be said. Like he would say more than 80% of people with, who died from COVID had a disability. Like he said some of the hard facts so that we could make significant improvement and live in a higher possibility world. Whereas nice would just be polite and say thank you and, and just sort of meekly nod. Whereas he was kind enough to say exactly what needs to be heard so that his heart-centered leadership was truly creating an all-accessible Ontario, you know? I'd love people to know more about you, unstoppabletracy.com. I encourage you to check out uh, that website. Um, and for David Onley, he definitely yeah. will be missed, will he not? Yeah. Yes, yes. I can, I'm, I've got a lump in my throat the whole time we're talking. It's hard to imagine. When we come back to this special edition of The Feed, David Onley's connection to York Region. Follow us on Twitter at 1059 The Region. Ann Romer and more of The Feed after the break. This is 1059 The Region. Welcome back to this special edition of The Feed. I'm Ann Romer. Today, we honour the life and legacy of Ontario's former Lieutenant Governor, who passed away earlier this month. During his time at Queen's Park, David recognised the many people and places that make up York Region. Vaughan Mayor Stephen Del Duca joins us now with his memories of David Onley. Thank you, Mayor Del Duca, for joining us on this special edition of The Feed. We're paying tribute to the late David Onley. Mayor Del Duca, you became an MPP in 2012. So let me ask you this. What was it like, your impressions of David in the hallowed halls of Queen's Park? He was Lieutenant Governor when you became an MPP. Yeah, he was for sure. And, you know, first of all, let me just say, and, you know, sincere condolences to uh, to the family and the friends of David Onley. Obviously, very sad news. Uh, about his passing, but I, you know, I do think, as you mentioned, back to those days at Queens Park, having had the chance, the honor, in fact, of, of of meeting him, having conversations with him, being very struck by the fact that he was always so down to earth, uh, so direct, um, in a good way, in a constructive way, a good sense of humor, and just a very kind and um, genuine human being and someone who obviously dedicated his life to advocating for accessibility issues and did that in a very, again, direct way. So very sad to hear the news about his passing, but an extraordinary legacy, an extraordinary legacy. Mayor Del Duca, uh, he put together a, what people are saying was a scathing report on the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, and that was in March of 2019. The Conservatives were in power at that point, and I don't want to get political here, but it didn't really go anywhere. What are your thoughts on that? 
Well, you know, there's actually, I will say, and there's no reason to be political about this because I think that this is an issue that we've struggled with in the province of Ontario for far too many years, and it's not any one particular political party or government that's been uh, unable to get the job done in the right way, as, as Mr. Romney would have wanted to see it occur. I think his report was, as I said just a moment ago, he was always someone who was very comfortable sharing his thoughts and sharing them in a very frank way, which, you know, makes for a very powerful advocate. And so I think his report was, was uh, you know, on the mark. And we do need to do a better job at all levels of government and as a society in general uh, to make sure that people who do struggle with accessibility issues are properly given the chance and every opportunity to succeed. And, and that's not being achieved yet here in Ontario, but that's not the fault of any one government. It's a collective responsibility, and I think Mr. Olney understood that. So having said that, Mayor Del Duca, what are you and the city of Vaughan planning to do to make Vaughan more accessible? Well, there's a number of initiatives that the city of Vaughan has undertaken over the last several years, predating my time as mayor. This is an ongoing exercise. We have some extraordinary accessibility advocates within Vaughan, many of whom have been deeply I will say, affected by Mr. Romley's passing. People who knew him and had the chance to work and be mentored by him, work with him and be mentored by him, we're going to continue to strive to, to, to make sure we are meeting all of our accessibility requirements and in a perfect world exceeding them. I will say, uh, you know, in the coming days, actually in an upcoming uh, meeting of the Committee of the Whole in early February, I am going to be bringing forward a member's resolution that I hope my council colleagues will support and that's a resolution to have the the existing accessibility ramp at the city of Vaughan uh, renamed in honor of Mr. Onley. I want to make sure that it uh, reflects his incredible legacy as an advocate, as a great Ontarian, as a great Canadian. Um, and uh, and I'm hoping my council colleagues will support that initiative. I think they will. I'd like to rename it the Honorable David C. Onley Accessibility Gateway. And uh, I think that would be a really good way to, to begin the very well-deserved honoring of this, this great individual. I think that his family and friends would be so pleased to know that, and I hope that it comes through. I noticed on the day that David Onley passed away, or shortly thereafter, you were one of the first cities to request that the flags fly at half-mast at all Vaughan facilities. Why did you do that? Well, you know, I think, again, it's it's so important for us, you know, for individuals who step forward to serve the public in an authentic and genuine way, the way that Mr. Omley did throughout his career as a journalist and certainly then as an advocate and, of course, as lieutenant governor, I think it's so important for us to recognize the value of public service and the exceptional individuals who make out their life's work. I do believe in sometimes, you know, part of the reason that perhaps we've lost some respect for public institutions not all of us, but in society, generally speaking, is because we have not done a good enough job of honoring public servants and public service in a very open and clear way. And I think that this is just one, I will say, small but important uh, way for the city of Vaughan to make sure that Mr. Onley's legacy and contribution was recognized, was honored, and also to express our collective condolences to his family and friends. Mm. Vaughn Mayor Stephen Del Duca, thank you so much for joining us as we remember David Onley. Thank you, Anne. And David Onley's reach extended beyond York Region. The mayor of Midland, Bill Gordon, is very proud of a beautiful park dedicated to the late Lieutenant Governor. Here's Jim Lang. 
Now, not only is Midland, Ontario, one of the most beautiful spots in the province and home to one of my favorite things in the summer, the Butter Tart Festival, it's also home to something very special, David Onley Park, which is one of the centerpieces of the town of Midland. To talk more about it, thrilled to be joined by their mayor, Bill Gordon. Bill, how are you? Fantastic. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. How did it come to be that you had this special park named after the former lieutenant governor and someone who touched so many lives in this province, David Onley? Well, we had uh, the distinct pleasure uh, and honor to honor him at a civic reception, along with members of our accessibility committee back in 2007, after he was appointed as lieutenant governor. And on June 12, 2013, so we're coming up on the 10th anniversary, the town officially dedicated David Only Park to honor and recognize his achievements in championing disability issues across Ontario and arguably around the world. He was larger than life and has a very loud voice. It must be a sense of pride for you to be the mayor and a longtime resident of Midland to, to see that sign, knowing after his passing, his legacy will live on for so many years. Absolutely, and, and uh, the, the park, or parkette, as some would call it, I mean, we're a small community, so we don't have, you know, we only have a couple large sprawling parks, but this little parkette is right down at the very heart of our waterfront. Uh, we've given it a place of honor. We haven't, you know, it's not buried back in some little obscure area. It's right in the heart of our downtown, right by our uh, our waterfront and pier. And uh, thousands and thousands of people walk by and ponder and read the plaque that we have uh, installed below it, which just helps uh, not only commemorate him, but, you know, spread the word about what he was all about and uh, that the movement for greater accessibility is far from over. And I have to compliment you, you and your staff, Bill. My wife and I were at the Butter Tart Festival last year, and it is a very accessible festival for all. And that's, I think David Olive would be proud of that. That is our goal and remains our goal. I mean, it's a it's a requirement. There's a there's a standard that all of Ontario is meant to reach. But, uh, you know, much to David's credit, he, uh, you know, he didn't mince words. Uh, he was pretty clear that, you know, it's not looking as if we're going to make those targets for accessibility. And he was really pushing the province to do more to try and, and uh, honor that commitment. As far as the butter tart goes, uh, Midland is, you know, geographically, we're kind of like a bowl. So accessibility uh, with us is pretty easy. Everything kind of rolls downhill into our downtown core. And we've just rejuvenated the entire King Street area and made it as accessible as possible, given that there is a bit of a hill. And uh, of course, some of the buildings are century buildings. So there's issues with width of access into them. But there's still challenges, even when you remake and remodel your community. Speaking with Bill Gordon, the mayor of Midland, a proud owner of David Onley Park, a big part of their community. I learned so much from David Onley over the years, Bill. Uh, one thing I had no idea was his championing of those metal um, sort of planks with the little bumps on it at intersections so a wheelchair or a, 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 an accessibility scooter won't, won't roll into the intersection. I had no idea really what that was all about till he taught me. I mean... I think, I don't know about you, Bill, but he taught me a lot of things that I had no idea that was important to accessibility. What did he teach you? Well, to be, to, I really wish I'd had the chance to meet him in person, but I didn't. I mean, I enjoyed him on television uh, in his broadcasting days, and I, quite frankly, I didn't realize the importance of what he was all about um, when, as I was younger, enjoying his science shows. I'm a, I'm a tech guy by trade, so mm. that tactile feedback that uh, is installed, you know, for people to feel with their feet or uh, or a mobility device, something as simple like that. It's amazing when you, when you have the ability to dream up uh, a tool like that, and I honestly don't know all the background, whether he did it single-handedly or if it was part of the accessibility team that he was with. But to get that thing installed uh, virtually everywhere, in every construction now, any remodel of anyone's intersection, I mean, it would be awful nice if it had his name on it, but 
uh, it's something that we're we're walking on and feeling virtually every day. Growing up in the 80s, I never really thought too much about accessibility, but now it's become such a part of our daily life, thanks to Mr. Onley. Uh, we just assume that when you do something, when you build something, when you renovate something, it's going to be accessible for all. That I mean, that is a requirement uh, for new builds, and I believe there are, there's conditions, unfortunately, that allow uh, certain types of renovations to happen where you don't have to do um, sort of mass uh, mass changes for accessibility. Uh, you don't have to, but you should. So it's just a, it's a case of one of those questions you need to ask yourself, especially if you're in the public service or public facing side of house. You know, it, just because you, you don't have to do something doesn't mean you shouldn't do it as well. And this is actually one of the feedback that we continue to hear uh, from some of our local uh, residents shopping in our new downtown core that's being fully revitalized and curbless and super accessible, but they're still struggling with challenges getting into some of our shops uh, that are down there that are just uh, you know, there's still work to be done. Now, there is a great program out there called Mind the Gap that will provide uh, sort of like a ramp, a portable ramp that businesses can uh, acquire. And the challenge there is somebody with an, a physical ac- accessibility issue still needs to tap on the glass or press a button or wait out there awkwardly while someone gets the ramp and installs it. It's not a permanent installation. But hmm. it's clear to uh, anybody that we still have a lot of work to do. Well, Bill, thank you so much for the time and continue great work as the mayor of Midland. And uh, thank you so much for uh, leaving a great legacy with David Onley Park. I know I will be checking it out and uh, pay our respects to David Onley. I really appreciate you taking the time in a busy week. Well, thank you. And uh, conversations like this keep his memory alive as well as his mission. Well said. Thank you, Bill. All right. Cheers. Bye now. David Onley, an extraordinary man whose words and actions changed lives. His unwavering faith helped guide him through difficult times, but it was his faith in us that helped keep him going. Let's together pick up David's torch and make Ontario accessible for all. Farewell, my dear friend.